We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our February breakfast with Blake Brewer. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Thanks, Huey! So, despite what Johnny said, I didn't actually grow up in Arkansas. And I was standing there at my freshman orientation, and I was like, what the heck is this? I'd never heard it before in my life. I grew up in Allen, Texas, then went to move to Tulsa, Sand Springs, and then was at Arkansas this orientation. I'm like, but I'm already committed, so I guess I still have to go. Uh, but then it was uh, a few months later when I was at the first football game, and there were 75,000 people doing it after a touchdown, and I was like, this is pretty cool. Well, I was having a pretty amazing freshman year, and my mom called me about halfway through, and she said, uh, Blake, we're going to take a family vacation to Hawaii. I said, heck yeah, let's go. And so it was a few months later that we boarded the plane, got to Hawaii. First day there, decided uh, to go snorkeling at a place called Hanama Bay. And so there it was, my mom, my sister, uh, my grandmother, my brother, all on the beach. And then it was me and my dad out in the water. And I have to share with y'all, there is nowhere else in the world that I wanted to be than right there in that moment with my dad. We hadn't been around a lot of each other as I was at college and even during my high school years. I look back and I'm like, yeah, I was kind of doing my own thing. Now, I was really fortunate. I had a really good dad. He was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And there was, there was moments where I was like, oh, yeah, that's my dad. And there was other moments like, shoot, that's my dad. <laughs> <clears throat> my dad was a hospital administrator. But long before I was born, he was known as a football player. He'd been drafted to play tight end by the Atlanta Falcons. But his main claim to fame is that he was Terry Bradshaw's tight end at Louisiana Tech. And so they were best friends and roommates. My dad caught uh, Bradshaw's first ever collegiate touchdown pass. I've got this really great picture of my dad and Bradshaw and President Nixon in the Oval Office right before they both got drafted. Now, my dad was a very humble guy, so we hardly ever told anyone that he was Bradshaw's tight end. I told everybody. <laughs> it was my claim to fame growing up. And so there we are out there in the water, and we just kept going further and further out. And the further that we got out, the deeper the water got, the current got stronger, and the waves got bigger. And we ended up in an area that I now know is called Witch's Brew. And as I'm snorkeling, I, I had this moment, I kind of pulled my head out of the water, and I said, where'd my dad go? I don't see him. I'm scanning the water looking for him and there's these huge waves that are coming and I'm, I have to wait for like a big wave to come and kind of get to the top and look around. And then I saw him. And I remember thinking, oh, good, there's my dad. Except not good because my dad was struggling. The place where we were, there was no easy place to, to get out of the water and there was these huge cliffs and rocks. And my dad began to, to climb out of, out of the water. And I was thinking, think... Things aren't going right for him to be trying to get out right there because the waves are just crashing against this. And sure enough, about 
halfway up, wave crashes against my dad, knocks him back down in the water. I swim over there as quickly as I can. I don't see him. And so now I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I got to get out of the water. The only place to get out is that same place. And so by the grace of God, in between the waves, I'm able to get up on top of the rock. As I get up, I look down and I see my dad. He's still treading water and he looks up at me and he said, I need help. I need help. And my dad had this really big, deep, booming voice, but this cry for help was more like a whimper. And so I turned around to the beach and I began to yell and scream and wave my hands, hoping that they might see me. <clears throat> but they had, they looked like little tiny ants. They were so far away. And so I turned back around, looked at him, and realized I've got a decision to make. Do I stand right here or do I jump in after him? And I knew that I couldn't just stand there. And so I jumped in after my dad. I swam about 10 yards to get to him. And by the time I reached him, my dad was underneath the water. And he was unconscious, just kind of floating there, a couple feet under. And so I dove down, I wrapped my arms around my dad, I brought him back up to the surface and began to swim with him. Had to go around this rock and, and then start heading to the beach. And pretty soon I realized I don't know if I have what it takes to make it. I'm not, I'm struggling. And at that moment, a nearby snorkeler showed up, had heard me. And he began to help me get my dad to shore. And then the lifeguards showed up. They had seen what was happening and they got him on a surfboard, brought him to shore. And they started doing CPR. I stood next to him doing the only thing that I knew to do in that moment. I began to cry out to God. God, would you please save my dad's life? And I really thought that at any moment, my dad was going to come to him. Like in the movies, and his eyes are going to flicker open, the water's going to come out of his mouth. Never happened. My dad drowned. And there I was standing next to my dad's body. Like, what the heck just happened? We were just in the water a couple minutes ago having the time of our life, and now my dad is gone forever. I'm never going to see my dad again. And I began to ask myself some questions. How are we going to make it without my dad? How am I going to make it? So fast forward a couple hours and now we're back in the condo and I'm sitting in the back bedroom on the edge of the bed, just still in total shock. And my mom appears in the doorway, she's holding something. And she said, Blake, I've, I found something in your dad's briefcase, something that I, I know he was going to give you on the trip. I had no idea what she's talking about, but she walked across the room and she handed me a letter from my dad. Apparently he had been working on it for a couple months, had no idea that he was about to die, 
had no idea that this would be his final words to me. And as I began to read these words, a sense of peace just came over me. I felt hope, hope that I, I was going to make it. I was comforted by his words. And then I felt so incredibly loved. Do not tell me that my dad didn't love me. He took the time in the midst of his busy work schedule. He was reffing football games, all this stuff in his life, but he took time to put it on paper. My dad was a man of faith. And so I really believe God allowed him to write this last sentence of this letter. My dad wrote, as you're being faithful to God and to the Bible, you're often going to find yourself in the minority here on earth. But I assure you that in heaven, you'll be in the majority. Love your dear old dad. And I remember reading that thinking, I'm going to see my dad again. I can't imagine my life without this letter. There's a lot of ways my life could have gone. As I was grieving, as I felt the pain. There's some decisions I could have made to try to numb out the pain. They could have derailed me. They could have taken me out. I didn't make, I didn't do any of those things. And I would say over the next 12 months, I grew more um, as a leader. I grew more, I grew closer to my family and my friends and I grew closer to my relationship with God than ever and than any other 12 month stretch of my life. And I had some professional counselors tell me at the end of 12 months, like Blake, you have grieved this really well compared to most people. I attribute that to my dad's letter. My dad protected me. He protected me from some bad decisions. He protected me from experiencing survivor's guilt. I never experienced it. Now there was moments that I would be back at the U of A in my dorm room, crying myself to sleep, missing my dad, reliving that day in my life over and over and over again. Is there something I could have done differently? Was this my fault? And anytime I started to have that thought, it was, if, it was like my dad was right there and said, no, 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 this wasn't your fault. It was just an accident. I never experienced survivor's guilt. In the darkest moment of my life, my dad was there for me, my hero. As I graduated from college and got started on my career and then got married uh, a few years after that and then started having kids. There's highs and lows and there's been moments where it's like, man, life is, life is really good. There's other moments where, man, life is really tough and life is really hard. And you get into a fight or something with your wife and you're like, man, did I marry the right person here? And you start to have these thoughts and anytime that I would feel off or feel depressed or whatever. I would, I would go back to my dad's letter. And I would allow my dad to speak to me. 
And I was reminded, you know what? No matter what happens today, you got a dad that loves you, Blake. And more important than that, and my my dad made sure I knew it, you got a father in heaven that loves you. And I would be reminded from my dad, hey, just be faithful. No matter what happens today, just be faithful. Be faithful to God. Just be faithful to your family. Just be faithful to what you've been called to do. I'd be reminded by my dad to have an eternal perspective. That, man, my time here on earth is like that. And all of yours is too. And so the, the time that I'm here on earth, man, let's live for the things that really matter for eternity. Let's live for God. So for the souls of man. And so then it was a few years ago when my kids were even younger. So I have a second grader, Gracie Kate. I got a kindergartner, Bo. Her name's really long, so we had to go shorter for, for him. And then I got a three-year-old, Brooks. And I was sitting there like so many of you that are a dad. And I'm like, man, I want to be a good dad here. I want to help my children reach their potential. I want to help them be successful. I see this connection that I have with them right now. I want to keep that connection. I want it to make, want it to be even stronger and build that bond as we, as they grow older. And I'm looking at the world that they're growing up in. And there's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of confusion. It's like, what do I do here? How do I help my children? Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll write them a letter. If anyone knows the value of the letter from their dad, it's me. And so I pulled out a a blank sheet of paper. And I'm looking at that blank sheet of paper in my desk. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to (laughs) write? It was really overwhelming looking at this this paper and I'm like man I, but I know I got to finish it you know over the years as I've as I've met people and shared my story the number one response I've gotten from people is man I wish I had a letter like that from my dad there every once in a while I'd meet someone and they'd say oh I got a letter like that from my dad too and it was like we were in the special club together I got a letter from my dad close And I knew I wanted my kids to be in that club. There was one response that I never got from anybody. No one has ever said to me, you know, I'm not sure if I got a letter like that from my dad. No, you know it. And so as I was working on the letter, I started to do a lot of research. It's like, if I'm going to do, write this letter, man, let's do it right. So what do my children really need to hear from me? Like, what words do I need to use? And my conviction grew for my role in their life, for my words. Now, obviously, I knew that my dad's letter, the impact it had on my life, but to really understand why. And so I want to make sure all these words are in this letter. And so I finished and I have to share with you that it felt amazing to finish this letter. And I hope that one day you guys get to finish this. And I quickly realized that this letter 
as I was writing for my kids, I was the one who needed this more. This was for me because it slowed life down. It made me think about what was most important, what I wanted to be true of my family a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now. It helped me know and understand my children on a deeper level. I did decide as I finished this letter to, to go ahead and read it to my oldest, Gracie Kate. She was four at the time. And so uh, one night I said, Grace Kate, I got something for you. And, you know, normally I'm reading, you know, I'm reading her book, like a princess book. And I pull out this letter. Do we have anyone in the room that's willing to admit that they're a crier? We got any criers in the room this morning? <laughs> well, my daughter quickly realized that she's got a crier for a daddy. Because <laughs> I could barely make it through this. I'm just sobbing, emotional, and I'm wondering, man, what in the world is she thinking right now? And so I finished this letter, and I look up at her. And she looks right back at me. And she says, Daddy, can you read me the princess book now? <laughs> yeah. I read the princess book. I think I was still crying reading that. But the next night, she did go up to my wife and she, at dinner. And she said, last night, Daddy read me a message. Can he read me that message again tonight? And so she didn't understand every concept in that letter. She will, and that has as She's getting older, but she got the main one. She's got a daddy who loves her. And so it was around that time, and the two different guys come into my life about a month apart, and they didn't know my story at all, but each of them began to share with me how they had received a life-changing letter from their dad. One of these guys is a guy named Victor Marks. He runs a nonprofit rescuing women and children that are caught up in sex, sex trafficking up all over the world. And he says, though, that when he was, he told me I was 25 years old. <clears throat> I just got out, <clears throat> excuse me. I just got out of the Marines. I was living a hellish life, his words. And I get a letter in the mail from my biological dad. And he opens it up and it starts off, dear son. And he said he was ticked. He said, who does this man think that he is that he can call me son? He abandoned me when I was a child. I've had four stepfathers, all have verbally and physically abused me. One of them left me to die in a freezer. And now this man wants to call me son? No. He didn't finish the letter, he put it aside. But here's the power of a letter and come back to it. And he wanted to know what was in that letter because it was from his dad. He couldn't help himself. He went back to it a few weeks later and then he began to read it. And after reading this letter, he thought, okay, I'll give this man the time of day. I'll go meet with him once. That's what he wants. Well, his dad had become a Christian. And his life had completely changed and he was trying to reconcile with his son. And so long story short, Victor goes to meet with his dad and over the next couple of years, his dad becomes his best friend. 
And when he gets married a few years later, his dad is, is his best man. And Victor's life completely changes. And I'm sitting there listening to this story and I'm thinking about the letter I got from my dad. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life here? I got to help more people get a letter from their dad. And so that's where our mission started. To help one million dads write at least one well-written, meaningful, lasting legacy letter. And so for the last three years, I dropped everything full-time. I've been helping dads from all over the country write this letter. And as I share my story and as I've talked to people, you know, writing the letter is not some new idea. I mean, so many people that are like, yeah, man, I've been wanting to do that. I just haven't done it or I have done it and it didn't have the impact that I wanted to have. And so I realized, man, if we're going to do this right, man, we got to help dads write, write the letter. Because dads keep just getting started on it, but then also they don't have the, the, the time to do all the research to really understand what needs to go into this letter to have the impact that you want it to have. I don't know, as you listen to me today and you're thinking about writing your legacy letter, what your motivation uh, is to write this. There's so many great motivations. Some dads come into it. There was a guy a couple months ago in his 90s. He realized, I don't have a lot of time left. I got to write this letter. He's writing to a 60-year-old. There was a dad uh, up in Kansas City. I was up there a couple days ago doing a workshop. And he said, I'm going to be a dad for the first time in 12 weeks. I don't even know if it's going to be a boy or girl. And he's going to write this legacy letter. And I told him, man, you got to write this letter because your child is not promised that you're going to be here. Because none of us know when our last day is going to be. And so you got to have something written down. But how cool is this that for the rest of his child's life, he can go back and look and see, hey, this is what my dad was thinking about me and how I was loved and how he was proud of me even before I was born. We help a lot of people write their letter uh, who uh, their kids are teenagers. And you're starting to feel for the first time like, man, they're out making some decisions and they're not around me physically as much. And so, man, I can't be with them, but my words can be. A lot of people write it too. Um, their son or daughter who's getting married or having kids for the first time. I haven't found the bad time to write it. People ask me, when is the best time to write this letter? I say, it's kind of like planting a tree. The best time to plant it was 20 years ago. The best time to write this letter is the day your kids are born. The second best time is now. Some people come into it saying, man, on a scale of like nine or 10, man, I'm like a, or a scale of one to 10, I'm like a nine or 10 in the relationship with my children. I want to keep that. I want to keep it strong. Some would say, to be honest, I'm more like a five. But I want to be a 10. And then there's a lot of dads that come into this say, to be honest, I'm like a zero or a one. I'm experiencing parental alienation or, or I'm estranged from my children. I haven't talked to them in years. There was a guy here in Tulsa a few months ago writing his letter to his daughter, hoping 
that this letter is what brings her home. And so I don't know what your motivation is. I believe that there's a legacy letter in your heart. I believe there's one in everybody's heart. We just got to get that letter from your heart to your mind, to a piece of paper, then ultimately into your child's heart. We start helping moms write a legacy letter. Some people write the letter not even to their kids. Maybe they don't have kids yet, and they start they write it to a, a, a friend in their life or a young person. They write it up to their parents. And we got so many stories of guys telling me, "Man, <clears throat> my dad just got my letter, and he called me in tears, saying this is the best thing he's ever got." A legacy letter is a single document that your, your children or your loved ones can read in one sitting that has everything in it that they would ever need to hear from you. And I tell, tell dads, you don't want to wait to write this letter. This letter brings hope. It cuts through the, all the noise in the world. It brings hope. I love talking about hope. Hope, there's a science behind hope. You can measure hope. You can measure how much hope somebody has. If there's one thing that you could do for your children or your loved ones, for the people that you work with, for the people in the city of Tulsa, man, you want to raise their level of hope because when you have hope, then you can make it through anything. That next hard thing that's around the corner for you and your family, if you got hope, if you don't hope, when people lose hope, that's when they give up. There was a dad here in Tulsa working on his letter, Craig McElwain with OK Chiller. It's pretty cool that uh, as we started this, we had no idea how we were going to help people. And people started signing up to uh, be on a podcast or something. But then pretty soon some financial advisors were like, man, we need this for our clients. So we started partnering with them. And it opened up the door for us to help them and also provided some, some funding for us. And then some business owners like, man, we need this for our employees. We're like, Yes. And so Craig was doing it with his company. And Craig finishes his letter, gives it to his daughter on Valentine's Day. What a cool letter to get from your dad on Valentine's Day. She loved it. I think there were some tears shed. But then it was a couple months later that Craig got a message from his daughter. And she said, Dad, you'll never know how much that letter meant to me. It was as if God himself wrote those words. Not only is our relationship better, but every single relationship I have in my life is better because of your letter. And the backstory was is that her boyfriend had broken up with her a couple days before. Dad didn't even know it. And so she was hearing a lot of noise in her life, a lot of questions. Am I good enough? Am I lovable? And her dad just cut through all that noise with his letter, gave her hope. The second thing that he did was he won her heart. And all of our children are begging us, Dad, come win my heart. I was helping a Walmart team write their legacy letters, and Kent said, man, I don't know if I need to do this. My kids know that I love them, but since everybody else is doing it, I'll do it. Well, he finished his legacy letter, and he got it. He was proud. He couldn't wait to give it to him. He gave him on Christmas morning. 
and he got he had uh, has four adult children, three sons, a daughter, and a daughter. He got four little wooden boxes, put the letter in each one, put some family heirlooms in each box. They opened it up Christmas morning. His three sons, of course, loved it. They loved hearing from their dad that they were unconditionally loved, that he was proud of them, not for what they've done, but for who they are, that he believes in them. Hey, life's going to throw you some curveballs, but you've got what it takes. You're going to make it. But then it was his daughter. His daughter read the letter and then went home that day. She's 31 years old, young mom. And she called back. Dad had already gone to bed, so she gets mom. And she says, Mom, this is the best Christmas that I've ever had in my life. And mom says, well, we love hosting you guys. We love having everybody here. And she goes, no, mom, it was dad's letter. It's brought closure into my life because I didn't know how much dad really loved me. I was telling myself that dad loved my brothers more than me because he's always hunting and fishing with them and going to sporting events. But now I see how much dad really loves me. I asked Kent, I said, Kent, did you have any idea that your daughter, you know, felt that way? He said, man, I had, I had no idea. And the truth is, is we spent twice as much money on her as the boys. <laughs> but the truth is, all of us are telling ourselves a story about how we feel about our children, how we think about our children or our loved ones or whoever it might be. And they're also telling themselves a story about how you think and feel about them. And there's no way that the story is matching up perfectly. And so this legacy letter is about getting the story right. We're not leaving anything to doubt. If I ever have a thought creep in, man, did my dad really love me? Yeah, he does. It's right there. He wrote it down. This legacy letter is return toable. I did make that word up. But I can't tell you how many times I've returned to my dad's letter over the years. There was a group of guys that I helped write their legacy letter. All these guys were retired military, army. They'd actually all been in Delta Force, like some of the most highly trained, skilled people on the planet. And it was such an honor to help them. Number one, my dad was really patriotic. But then to think how they have served our country They've been deployed, left our family. Now I get to help them serve their family in this way. Jeff Teague finishes his letter. He gives it to his sons on Christmas morning. Not everyone gives it on Christmas, but he did. They open it up. And let's just say they, they're in the young 20s, but they weren't expecting a letter for Christmas. It's like, wait, what is this? Like, I thought I was going to get like something a little cooler than this. And his dad, their dad said, hey, it's okay. You can go read it on your own time. Well, they came back the next day and they walked up to him and they gave their dad, he, Jeff said, they came up to him and gave me a little bro hug and said, hey, thanks for the letter, dad. And he was thinking like, what the heck? All you're going to say is, hey, thanks for the letter, dad. I poured my heart and soul into that thing. <laughs> but he said, I didn't press it. A couple months go by, nothing. Six months go by. He gets a call from his buddy and his buddy says, 
Jeff, I was just hanging out with your son. Your son told me that you wrote him a letter this past Christmas. Your son told me it's his most treasured possession. That he reads it every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Jeff had no idea. And whether his son was having a tough week or a good week, he was going back to his dad's letter as a source of confidence. I said, Jeff, can I call your son? I called him. And his son told me that the first time I read that letter, it was the closest I'd ever felt to my dad in my life. That's the power of this legacy letter. A few months ago, we launched Legacy Letter Kansas City with the idea that if a person writes this legacy letter, it's life-changing. If you receive it, it's obviously life-changing. But what if the whole city does it? And so there's some great business leaders that have come together and said, yep, we'll do it with our employees or we'll do it with our clients. And our goal in the first year is 10,000 letters. Hellsberg Diamond signed on as a sponsor and so many others. A guy in Phoenix heard about it and said, man, we're going to do this in Phoenix. And so we launched Phoenix this past fall. And next week I'll be, in, be out there and helping some great dads and moms write their legacy letter. And the guy who's hosting the event said, man, I've got the right people in the room so that we can do this in the fall in the Phoenix Suns Arena. Ten to 15,000 people writing their legacy letter. And I'm over here like, man, I love watching these cities. And I, I want to do something in Tulsa where I live. And then this opportunity came and then we we're talking to Johnny and Lee and Mark. It's like, man, we got to give these guys an opportunity to write their legacy letter. And so February 17th, we're going to do a workshop here. And we're going to go for three hours. I'm going to, the guys that can come, man, I'm going to guide you through every section of the letter, the intro, the apology. I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. The memories, the, spe- the advice, closing paragraph. I know that not everybody can make it. But those of you that are able to make it that day, I can tell you this, you're not going to regret it. I've, I've yet to meet someone who's regretted writing this legacy letter. It's like, dang, what? it was hard. It's not simple. It's not easy. But I don't regret it. And so I know Lee's going to come up and in, in a minute and show you how to register for it. But I would love to fill this room up with a bunch of guys. Some people, you may not be a dad and you're writing to somebody else. We'll talk about that. Your family matters. And when you write this legacy letter, it strengthens your family. It strengthens you. You know, we're on a mission of a million. I hope we go way past the millions. And it's such a big number. But I just wanted you to know that our team says, man, every one of those letters matter. Because every one of those letters represents a family and children and future generations. And those of you that are able to come, 
and write your letter and maybe you're not able to do it that day and we have things online you can go to legacyletter.com and you know there's other ways that we can help you write your letter but every letter that's written honors my dad's legacy so i thank you in advance for being a part of that thank you guys i appreciate it We are going to hear that at the day you divide. Please do see the little bit of the